All right, so I don't know if we're going to be able to work that into our regular, uh, our regular music at, at Emmaus. Who here has heard that song before? Does anybody acknowledge? Oh, yeah, we have some takers on that, on that song. Number one, they misspelled or misused the word there. So all the grammarians among us were panicking there because T-H-E-R-E was not the right use. They also misspelled Sadducee on the screen, so... It's hard to take a song seriously, you know, when the grammar's wrong, much less the, uh, the way it's presented. I want you to see that song, not because we ever intend to necessarily sing it as part of an Emmaus worship gathering, but we're in a portion of Scripture where, Ga- where Jesus has been interacting with the Sadducees, where he's been interacting with some of these religious leaders. And so we come here in Matthew 23 to Jesus's words to the crowds and the disciples about the Pharisees. Now hear me clearly before we start. The word Pharisee, we think of it in almost an entirely negative sense. We'll tell somebody, don't be such a Pharisee, and we think of it in that way. But remember that in the first century, the Pharisees were considered to be elevated religious people. It was, generally speaking, a positive term. They had a commitment to God's word. They sought to live lives of holiness. They believed in the resurrection and the afterlife. In many ways, I think the reason Jesus had such intense battles with the Pharisees is because he saw himself as so close to them in a lot of ways. He, he even identified with the Pharisees in a lot of good ways, but there were ways that they're they were dangerous and led people in the wrong direction. And so we're going we're gonna to see that. And, and he's speaking about the Pharisees and their leaders. But the reason he's speaking this way in Matthew 23 is because he knows that it's going to filter down to the people. Here's something I want you to hear this morning. When I think about Emmaus, and when people say, Owen, what's kind of your vision for Emmaus? What do you see us becoming as a church Pastors don't love being asked, hey, what's the vision? Because it goes in so many different reasons, or so many different directions. But hear me out on this. When I think about Emmaus, one of my hopes for our church is that this would be a church full of recovering Pharisees and returning prodigals. So when you think about Emmaus, what kind of church would this be? What kind of church would God make us to be? I want this to be a place where there's a lot of us who say, you know what, I have some Pharisee tendencies. I grew up in church, I know all the religious games, I know all the religious words, I'm prone to checklists, I'm prone to live in this particular way, but I know that's not good, and I'm trying to recover out of that. And then we have other people who say, you know what, I'm more of a prodigal. I was far from the Lord, and I could run far from the Lord, but he continues to draw me back. And so when I think about Emmaus, I want this to be a place where it's very hard to be a Pharisee and it's very safe to be a prodigal. If we do well as a church, if we invest in God's word, if we spend time in prayer, if we're responsive to the Holy Spirit, this will be a hard place to be a Pharisee and it'll be a safe place to be a prodigal. And to get us moving in that direction as a church, What we're going to look at this morning are some very intense passages, some very intense statements that Jesus had against the Pharisees, and then we're going to ask ourselves, how do we recover as Pharisees? (laughs) How do we live the way that we need to live? 
And especially if you've grown up in church, especially if you know the religious words and you know the religious games and you're prone to checklists, I pray that God will use this morning in your heart in a particular way. So let's look at verse 13. Let's start out in verse 13. Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Okay, when you see the word woe in your Bible, and we're going to see this several times in this passage, when you see that word, it is a word of judgment. It is a word that can even be connected to the idea of curse. But here's how I want us to do this, Emmaus. When you see the word woe, you should think of the opposite of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. When it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All those blessed words, that, that blessing, that Beatitude, it is meant to be the opposite of woe. So you, in your mind, take the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, and take Matthew 23 and see them as polar opposites because that's the way that Matthew is using this in, in his gospel. So this is the opposite of the good life. This is the opposite of living as part of the kingdom of God. Jesus says here, Woe to you, scribes, you religious leaders, you ones that know the law, you hypocrites, for what's the problem? You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. What's Jesus saying to them there? He's saying you are in a position to point people toward the kingdom of God. You know the word. You grew up with the Bible stories. You know this better than anybody you're in a position to point people to the coming of the Messiah, and instead, you're shutting the door. You don't want to follow Jesus. You don't want to give yourself to him, and not only that, but you're not pointing other people toward him. Hear me out. Pharisees point people toward themselves and their way of religion. Recovering Pharisees point people toward Jesus. How do I know if I'm a recovering Pharisee? Because I don't want to draw people to myself, I want to point them to Jesus. Because only he is able to make a way. Only he is able to point people to the kingdom of heaven. How do you pick out a recovering Pharisee? They don't say, come follow me. They only say, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's the focus of their life. Now, look at verse 15. In fact, quick, quick comment here. You may be missing verse 14 missing in quotations, missing verse 14 in your copy of the Bible, or you may have verse 14, it has a little footnote. I don't have time right now to address that, but I am going to send out an email this week and, a, and an article that I wrote that hopefully will be helpful for you to understand why is verse 14 not here, or maybe I have verse 14, but there's a note. I'll send something out, and, and I hope that'll be helpful for you, but let's, let's go to verse 15. Verse 15, woe to you, so here's the judgment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land. You go on a mission trip. <laughs> you, you go on a mission trip to make a single proselyte or a single convert to your way of, of religion. You do that, but when that person becomes a convert or a proselyte, you then make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. 
So someone comes and they begin to be a part of the Jewish religion, but instead of pointing them toward the Messiah, you just make them more extreme about your way of thinking. Now the way that these woes are set up in Matthew chapter 23 is they're grouped by twos. So you have one and two, three and four, five and six, and then seven stands on its own at the end. The way that you can understand these first two woes is if you'll think about the way the Gospel of Matthew ends in Matthew chapter 28, it'll help you understand what Jesus was doing here in Matthew 23. So if you guys can go to the next slide uh, for us. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now watch this. The first two woes that Jesus is dealing with in Matthew 23, the first one is about getting people into the kingdom, and the second one is about how you live once you become a part of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees pointed people toward themselves and then said, here's more religious rules that you need to follow. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, you're going to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's your identification. That's your entrance into the kingdom of God. And once you get there, you teach people to observe. You teach them to live out all that I have commanded you. Not that all that these religious leaders are adding to the word of God. I want you to follow what I have commanded you. Pharisees point people to themselves. Recovering Pharisees point people toward Jesus. Let's be a church that is not worried about pointing people to us or to our religious rules, but we want to point people to Jesus. That's what we want to do as a church. Verse 16. Now he's going to go to number three. So that was one and two. Now number three, verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Pharisees come up with detailed word games to get out of their commitments to the Lord. Now, the teenagers here, uh, and really kids of all ages, are experts at loopholes. You guys know how loopholes work? <laughs> like, uh, oh, I had my fingers crossed when I told my parents I was going to do that. Or uh, this idea of the host home told us to go to bed at 1230. They didn't say a.m. or p.m. It just said go to bed at you know, 1230. So you're always trying to find loopholes in the rules. The Pharisees are like this. They're saying, well, you know what? If you made an oath and you made it in this way, then it really counts as an oath to God. But if you didn't say the super secret religious words, then that oath that you made, it doesn't really count. Anytime we get ourselves in this situation, we're playing religious games, we're playing word games about whether or not we really want to be committed to the way of God. So watch what happens in the next verse. Verse 17. You blind fools, Jesus says, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred. Jesus is just saying, this is not great theology. You're just being silly with your words at this point. You've missed what it means to be committed to the Lord. So verse 18, you say, if anyone swears by the altar, 
it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, they had their fingers crossed, then he is bound by the oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Verse 20, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it, Jesus says, and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in the temple. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that if you understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you understand that when we make a commitment to God, we make a full commitment to God. What does a Pharisee's life look like? A Pharisee's life looks like I'm very religious in this part of my life, but my religion doesn't impact this other way, this other part of my life. Sometimes we call this compartmentalizing uh, or living your life in boxes. So you know somebody in your life who when they're at church, when they're at the building or they're around this they are super religious. Like, they sound religious. They look religious. They're the greatest religious person you've ever seen. But when they step outside of that church realm and they go to other areas of life, they don't see their religion impacting that part of their life. This is what Jesus is saying. That's not what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. When you make your commitment to God, you make a full commitment to God. And it doesn't matter how many times you cross your finger. It doesn't matter how many loopholes you claim to find. It doesn't matter how many silly religious things you say. When you commit yourself to God, you commit yourself fully to him. Everything you have is from him. Everything you have is for him. So what does that tell us as a church? It tells us as a church that what we do in here matters, but what we do out of here matters just as much that our being a part of the people of God is not confined to what happens in this building. It's not confined to what happens when we gather together. It's about what Jesus has sent us out to do. Pharisees play word games, and they compartmentalize their life. Recovering Pharisees say, you know what? Jesus deserves every part of my life, where, where I live, where I learn, where I work, where I play. All right, let's look at number four, because it's going to connect. You're going to see the connection here. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Can I just stop for just a second, just to say just a moment here? I was really hesitating in my mind about how you said cumin or cumin here. So this has nothing to, we're going to take a quick break, though, all right? We're going to come back to this. I just had this moment. Um, so I grew up in a family that we didn't season our, uh, our food a lot. You know, we, we fried most things, vegetables, meat. Well, if you could fry it, we fried it. That was kind of our, our thing. So, so I met Amanda, and she was trying to reshape my palate and uh, teach me some, uh, some new foods. And so I, I, she sent me to the store, and uh, I couldn't find the oregano spice, uh, so I looked everywhere for the, for the oregano spa- spice. I was like, babe, I can't find oregano anywhere, and she said, honey, that's oregano, but oh, I've never seen oregano before. This is, this is fascinating, so I don't know how you say cumin or not, but anyway, so verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and oregano, 
and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. What's Jesus getting at here? What he's getting at here is that in the law of the Old Testament that talked about tithing, you were called to tithe the produce of your field. If you were a farmer and you were growing crops, you were called to tithe that. But the Pharisees have gotten so precise that they're having arguments about tithing their backyard herbal garden. So Jesus is saying, you're obsessed with how you should do the tithe on your backyard herbal garden, and yet what you've not done well with is mercy and justice and faithfulness. And if those words kind of sound familiar, he's almost certainly reflecting Micah 6, 8 here. What does the Lord require you but to, but to love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with your God? Jesus is saying, religious people have a terrible track record of getting distracted and obsessed with details outside of God's word and in the process missing what is most important. We get tied up with details that go far beyond the word of God and we miss what we've really been called to do. And so verse 24, you get language like you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Now that's a cool verse for a lot of reasons, okay? When it says you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel, in Aramaic there's a word play between gnat and camel where they sound very familiar and, and both are, sound very similar. And gnats and camels, get this because this helps understand what Jesus is doing here, gnats and camels were both considered to be impure animals. So you didn't want to come in contact with them, you didn't want them around. And so when it says that you're supposed to strain out the gnat, this means if you're sitting in your house and you're about to drink from a cup and a gnat lands in the cup, it's very important that you strain that thing out before you drink. Seems obvious enough. Uh, so I was pastoring a church uh, several, several years ago and we were doing the Lord's Supper and we were doing the Lord's Supper at that time, not necessarily with the little cups and the wafers, but there was a chalice on the table that was full of juice, and there was a, a loaf of bread next to it. And so I'm standing down front, getting ready to serve the Lord's Supper, and I see this moth circling uh, right above, above the table. Moth circles, I'm trying to read 1 Corinthians, moth circling, moth dives right into our chalice of juice and begins to, uh, begins to swim around. So needless to say, we had to change plans with the Lord's Supper because I didn't know about Matthew 23, about straining out the gnat, and you just keep, uh, you just keep going. Um, what Jesus is saying here, here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are so obsessed, Pharisees, with purity. You're so obsessed with ritual purity that you will strain a gnat out of your drink so that you're not impure, but you miss the camel sitting on your plate. Now, obviously that's silly, and Jesus meant for them to hear it in that way. What type of person would be so obsessed that they would pay attention to a gnat, but they would miss the camel sitting on their plate? Religious people? who get so easily distracted by details 
and they miss what it means to really follow and be a part of the kingdom of God. Pharisees are distracted and divided by details outside of God's word. Recovering Pharisees say, you know what? I have enough problems as it is. I need to focus on what God has really called me to do. Mercy, justice, faithfulness. All right, let's look at number five, which takes us to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Pharisees are obsessed with outside external purity. Recovering Pharisees say purity really needs to start with what happens on the inside, not primarily what happens on the outside. So somebody is going to come over to your house, maybe you're hosting a dinner or you've got people coming over to your house, there's a form of cleaning that is called hurry, put everything in that room really fast, all right? You guys are familiar with this type of cleaning. Somebody's coming to your house, you just shove it under the bed, you shove it in another room, and people are like, oh, your house looks great. Oh, yeah, it looks like this all the time. Don't worry, like, you know. No, actually, it doesn't. Or kids, your parents tell you to clean your room, and you run in there, and you shove everything under the bed, or you shove it in the closet, and they come in, they're like, oh, you did a great job. Yeah, don't open the closet, because that's not going to go well. Did you know what? We do that in church life. It's easy to get obsessed with looking good on the outside. Pharisees are worried about that. Recovering Pharisees say, you know what, I've got some problems on the inside, and I need the Holy Spirit to start there working on my life. And, and number six connects directly to this. These are, these are paired. So you see the next one in verse 27, and you'll, you'll see the connection quickly. Verse 27 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Man, there's some language for you, huh? Which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You outwardly, in verse 28, appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Pharisees are obsessed with looking religious to other people. Recovering Pharisees are obsessed with God changing their life from the inside out. And if there is one word that I need to hear and that Emmaus needs to hear in 2020, I think that's it. I think that's the one we have to pay the most attention to right now. Because can I tell you, it is tempting to whitewash your life. It is tempting to want to look good and look religious to people around you like you have it all together when all along you know you don't have it all together. As a Pharisee, you'll use your words, you'll use social media, you'll use busyness, you'll use running away from a group or church involvement because things look better from a distance than they do when people get up close to your life. Recovering Pharisees say, I'm not going to run away from that. I need people to get involved in my life. I need to open my life up to the Lord and up to other people because I've got some stuff in here I really need to work on. And this, this happens at a church level too. 
that we would want our church to look good to people, that we keep up in an appearance, look at us, we got it all together, when inwardly we know we've got stuff we need, we need to work on. Pharisees are obsessed with whitewashing their life. Recovering Pharisees say, God changed me from the inside out. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that type of church. God changes from the inside out. Do something within us. Give me the courage to get into a small group or to meet with a group of guys during the week and just open my life and say, Lord, here I am. I'm not gonna try to pretend like everything's okay. I've got some things I need to work on, but I trust that you are good. Can I just beg you as part of this church, beg you as I beg myself, please, please, please don't walk around trying to look good on the outside. We all have a lot of problems, all right? We all have a lot of struggles, and the only way we grow is when we begin to open ourselves up to the Lord, open ourselves up to one another and to, to God's word. And so we need to think about that word for, for our lives and for our church. All right, let's look at the number seven that kind of does its own thing here at the end. It, it takes us to the end of the chapter, and it's, it's a little bit longer section here. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous. Now what's going on here? Well, hear me out here. The Pharisees not only whitewashed their own lives, but they tried to whitewash the past. So what they're looking back to is times that the prophets were not honored, times that righteous people were not honored, and in their own day, they're trying to go back and build monuments and build statues and whitewash these and, and make it look like they've always been good with the prophets. They've always been righteous before the Lord. And what does Jesus say in verse 30? Or, 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 I'm sorry, they, he carries forward their, forward their language in verse 30. This is them speaking. You say things like, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Pharisees tend to give themselves the benefit of the doubt and they tend to whitewash the past. If you're trying to say, what does it look like to be a Pharisee? I tend to give myself the benefit of the doubt and I tend to whitewash my past. With language like this, if I had lived long ago, there's no way I would have had slaves. If I had lived long ago, there's no way I would have supported Hitler. If I had lived long ago, there's no way. Pharisees always give themselves the benefit of the doubt and always whitewash the past. Recovering Pharisees say, I know myself too well, and I need to be very careful about what, saying what I would have done in the past versus how I'm being called to live right now. What does this look like? Religious people have a tendency to live most of their lives looking backward, thinking about how things were, thinking about things how ha happened in the past. Pharisees look backward. Recovering Pharisees say, I need to take right now seriously, and I need to look forward to where God is leading us. Next verse, verse 31. Jesus says, when you say these things, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you going to be how, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, 
and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel, the first martyr of the Old Testament, to the blood of Zechariah, the last, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus says you're looking backward and you're missing what God is doing right in front of you. Pharisees live in the past. Recovering Pharisees say, God, I need you to speak to me right now because I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to do. Verse 37, what is Jesus' response here? Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, now your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's something that pe people cry out when they see the Lord for who he truly is. So what does it look like to be a church of recovering Pharisees? What does it look like to live the opposite of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 23? Number one, recovering Pharisees proclaim and display Jesus so that others will know and follow him. We don't point people to ourselves. We don't people call people to add religious weight to their shoulders. We just say, look to Jesus. And the way we do that is when we experience the Lord's work in our own lives. When Jesus is working in your life and you're experiencing his grace and mercy, you're gonna wanna share that with others. You're gonna want to point others to him. As recovering Pharisees, we wanna point people to Jesus above all else. If people are gonna come to Emmaus, they're not coming here to have extra religious weight added to their shoulders. They're coming here so we can point them to Jesus. Number two, recovering Pharisees focus fully on what matters most. They commit themselves fully to the Lord and they major on what really matters. They're gonna give themselves to the right things. Number three, recovering Pharisees deal with the inside. God, start on the inside of me. Change me from the inside out. And then number four, recovering Pharisees live urgently in the present as they look to the future. The fact that every one of us will stand before the Lord and the question is, do I hear him speaking to me now? Do I experience the power of the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I believe, as Jaron said earlier, that he is good? My life does not feel good right now. I have all kinds of things going around me that I don't understand. I feel like I'm a mess sometimes. But what I do know is that Jesus is good that he has overcome sin and death and I can trust him. And I'm not gonna run to any religion. I don't need extra rules to follow, but I do need someone to take this weight off of me. And only Jesus can do that. When we go that direction, it begins to open up our lives in so many different directions. What is God calling us to do as a church? He's calling us to be a safe place for returning prodigals. And he's calling us to be a place where Pharisees come to experience recovery and say, only Jesus is worth my life, and I'm going to give everything to him. Let's bow our heads together right now, Emmaus.
God, in this moment, as we come to, to sing a final song, God, we want to focus on you. There may be people here, here this morning, and it's been a long time since they were in a church building, and, and they would admit that they maybe in some way have even run from you, or they've tried to stay away because they were trying to make things look okay. God, set us free from this pressure to feel like we have it all together. Set us free from this pressure to whitewash our lives and to make ourselves appear religious. God, we come to you because we don't have it all together. But we believe that you are good. And we believe that you want to change our lives and our marriages and our families from the inside out. God, I don't know what you're going to do in Emmaus in the years to come. But God, more than anything, we want to point people toward the good news of Jesus. We want our lives to be fully committed to you. And we want to live every day for you as we look toward eternity. God, thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for the gift of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.